Hello and welcome to the Get French Football News show. Today we discuss Neymar's first ever visit to the Group Rama Stadium in Lyon as the Brazilian gives PSG another late win in their least successful venue traditionally. Also, Marseille put a strong performance on Saturday but hit a, wound, a stone wall called Montpellier and Saint-Étienne continue their winless streak as questions arise concerning Gislain Printemps. We'll talk about all of these and more and look forward to Monaco-Nice on Tuesday and other derbies taking place in this midweek round of fixtures. I'm Pierre-Paul Birmingham. Here today with me is Mohamed Ali. Hello, Mo. Hello, everybody. I understand you watched uh, a sporting miracle over the weekend in the victory of the French national rugby team. Uh, well, they scored the walls there. Pretty, uh, coming back late on to beat Argentina after a pretty good, uh, a pretty good first half. They almost threw it away, but uh, you know, it's, it's better to do it well, the hard way than just sail through, I suppose. <laughs> Uh, winds are so rare these days, I will take anything. Joining us today as well, Jeremy Smith. Hi, Jeremy. Hi, how are you doing? Very well, thanks. Are you following the rugby as well? I am, yes. Are you, are uh, you both, kind of, are you both cheering like, for um, England, sorry? No, no, I'm cheering for France. Um, <laughs> I think I, oh, I was kind of responsible for, for the... I turned it on at half-time. And then turned it off in disgust when when Argentina took the lead. So it's basically <laughs> me in a way that France won. Well, as long as I'm not watching, they'll do okay. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. Let's return to uh, the only sport that really matters, though, uh, and we begin with, of course, the big clash, the biggest clash of the season so far. Lyon-PSG, a, a fixture that's traditionally so difficult for PSG in the last few years, travelling to Lyon. And Lyon almost hung, hung on to a draw once again. Uh, I was without... ...record an 86th minute winner. Jeremy, I mean, we have to start with the end once again, don't we? He, Neymar gave the winning goal after, you know, struggling a little bit through the match, but putting a solid effort in nonetheless yeah it was in a way it was a kind of classic Neymar performance he lots went through him he sort of verged between looking very bright and you know very close to maybe um setting a, a couple of teammates up for goals and then looking a bit disinterested um, for me, Di Maria was was the the best attacking player on the field, and and mm-hmm. um, I think it's kind of his team at the moment. Um, we mm-hmm. also had with Neymar the you know one incident with ridiculous rolling around and and screaming in agony when he was barely touched. Um, we had the 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 sideshow of the Lyon fans chucking uh, rolled up bits of paper and a couple of bottles at him and. Uh, a sausage as we, well, apparently. <laughs> I didn't hear that. Um, <laughs> no, I'm a bit torn. Well, I'm not torn. It's definitely the wrong thing to do. But there as well, I thought maybe he overdid making a big point to the ref. Look at me kind of thing. Um, and then, of course, we had the brilliant winner. So we had like, you know, all the different ingredients that make up Neymar, all the reasons why he's, you know, repulsive and fantastic at the same time. <laughs> All the reasons why you can understand why um, a lot of PSG fans have, have had enough of him, but also why he's he's 
is when he wants to be still one of the best players in the world and can win any match at any moment. Absolutely. And, and Mo, aside from Neymar, uh, PSG were, Neymar and Di Maria were on the pitch, but PSG were lacking a lot of offensive talent. And really what's shown in this match was their defense, uh, which won, was a very, very performant. Yeah, no, absolutely. I thought the defensive performance of both teams was pretty good. Thiago Silva, in particular, four months, uh, probably justified the match rating that he got in the keep as well after the game. Um, but yeah, no, it was a bit disjointed. Um, it was a bit disjointed offensively um, for Paris, um, uh, you know, considering the quality that they put through um, in midweek against Real Madrid, um, the fact that they were unable to sort of to perhaps stretch Leon's side or, or at least trouble them offensively. I mean, they had a couple of good opportunities. Lopez uh, pulled off a number of good saves, but um, it was really, in, you know, apart from a couple of drives in the first half, it was really in the latter stages that things sort of began to heat up. And, and you've got to um, uh, sort of pay tribute to the to the Leon back line. Uh, they played a 3-5-2 slash 5-3-2 as well. Um mm-hmm. You know, Anderson in particular and, and, and Denaya, who were a little bit uh, maligned in the last couple of games, and Leon um, perhaps were left a bit, you know, open defensively and themselves um, not so much struggling, but not exactly lighting any fireworks either. If you saw also in the Champions League in midweek, um, where sort of play would open up on the left flank and they sort of expose themselves um, in the wider areas of the penalty box. And that's where sort of the goal opportunities come from. But they seem to have uh, you know, learned from that and imposed themselves over the course of 90 minutes, had it not been for um, Neymar's obviously late intervention. So, yeah, it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't too bad, you know, sort of offensively um, from the visitors. But, they, they, you know, it goes to show that you know, things are not sort of a foregone conclusion. You know, in the league now, they've escaped. Um, I mean, they've had a great week, um, obviously, in terms of the results and uh, sort of the, you know, coming away unscathed. But, you know, if had it not been for sort of Neymar's one-off geniuses, uh, they would have lost four points and they would have been in third third position in the league table. So, it's mm. you know, perhaps they can obviously count on the fact that they've got so many players missing and it is effectively that somewhat b-side um and this you know they've continued to chain the results but um yeah it's the sort of the team cohesion is still uh, lacking a little bit even though it was on display in europe but sort of maybe maybe you know the domestic teams are getting clued up or or i don't know but there's still like work to do i think yeah well i i thought you know some of the team cohesion stuff was quite impressive off the back of that match in real madrid where where really was one of the strong points uh saw very strong collective intensity from PSG. Obviously, they had to turn, they had some turnover on Sunday uh, with players tired from the from the Madrid match with some missing out on injury like uh, Icardi. Um, but yeah, as, as you mentioned, Thiago Silva was very impressive. Uh, and that was his 35th birth, birthday on Sunday. So a, a, a very nice gift for him. And um, zero shots on target conceded by PSG, both against Madrid and Lyon. So that's, I think, really impressive defensively. Um, and, and something, you know, it, it, they've got a good foundation to build on there from there on for, for the rest of the season. Jeremy, what did you think of Silvino's decision to implement a 5-3-2, 3-5-2, whatever you want to call it, 
um, against uh, against Paris. It, it was leaked in the press two days before, and he was seemingly. Um, but it almost worked pretty well, no? Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose it depends on what the thinking was behind it. If it was to kind of set out the stool for to try to hang on for a nil-nil draw, then they were sort of you know, three minutes and, and a piece of genius away from, from um, achieving that aim. So, you know, they were very close to kind of, um, I guess, validating his decision. If it was to kind of be expansive and, and have a little bit of width, then for a lot of the first half, um, I thought it. I thought it worked quite well. Um, so certainly, the the first quarter of the match, I thought Lyon more or less gave as good as they they got. Um, not so much in terms of possession, but looked dangerous on the break. And then PSG, the second quarter of the match, I thought were dominant. Actually, the the second half, although PSG were comfortable, I didn't think they created too much in that half. And and mm. It did look like it was going to sort of peter out into a bore draw. So uh, I suppose depending on on the reasoning for it, maybe also the the, the you know there was quite a lot of talk about the fact that oh well, I'd been dropped um, in midweek, and and maybe it was um, an attempt to, to get oh well, and Ren Adelaide into the same team. Um, so uh, I, th- I suppose there's different ways to look at it. I mean, you look at the central defence. Anderson, I thought, had by far his best game since he's joined Lyon. So um, maybe he felt reassured by having a, um, two players around him. Um, so th- there mm-hmm. were signs of kind of... There were signs that it, it, it almost worked and that it is maybe something that they can l- look at again. But the bottom line is that... Um, you know, especially considering Lyon is supposed to be the closest challengers to PSG, and they're supposed, to, or they have had a very good recent record at home against PSG. If you look at it from the defensive point of view, you could you could say maybe it's a bit of a um, a negative tactic, and maybe uh, you know, a team like Lyon or a club like Lyon should be looking to be more positive and and really sort of try to meet PSG head on and and playing five mm. at the back and, and looking to settle for the draw is maybe kind of doing themselves down, maybe giving PSG a little bit too much respect. I don't know, but maybe it's just indicative of, of lots which seems wrong at Lyon at the moment. Yeah, that, that would seem to be the suggestion by some people that, you know, playing defensively was not in the Lyon DNA or, or something like that. Um, but I, I think... They were hoping as well to be able to develop offensively some play. I mean, the idea as well with the two up front was that Depay and, and Dembele would be able to link up more. That didn't really happen at all. Uh, someone who I, I don't think we've mentioned so far, however, is, is Marcelo, the centre-back for Lyon, who was pretty much man-marking Neymar, his former teammate from, from Santos. So there was a, a fun reunion there. And uh, did a very good job of it. We have a question on Twitter from Jorge Rodriguez who asks us thoughts on what is wrong with Leo. I mean, I've, we've kind of touched on that a little bit. And he asks, how much time would you give Silvino before giving him the sack? Now, me, to me, that sounds very rash. But there has been some questioning of, of Silvino, I suppose. And of course, as well as of, um, of Juninho's role and silence after the match. I saw some people criticizing that. Yeah, no, it's, I think it's a bit too early. Um, it's it's six games. Um, you know, they're only 
what, three or four points off the podium for now. Um, mm. There's still an awful lot of sort of football to play. I think to make a decision at this uh, at this point in the season would be ridiculous, um, and not befitting of sort of the stability that Leon seemed to enjoy of its rivals and sort of the calm headedness that's got got to you know gotten them to where where they are. Um, it was a gamble to bring in Silvino, of course. No one's denying that, but you know to have Giannini on the structure behind him. Um, and the sort of the transfer outlay that they've had as well. It's it's not an inter- it's not a great start of the season by any means, but especially considering the fact that they were so lauded um, about a month ago after mm. their six 0 win um, over Angers. Um, it's far too early, and I think where you would sort of start to question um, Silvino or question whether the system is working or whether they are struggling to get by. It's probably around the Christmas time. It's sort of the same period of time they gave Huber Fournier as well um, in 2015-16, just before Genesio yeah. had given. And of course, Genesio was long criticised, uh, but managed to hold on to his job for about three and a half years as well. So <laughs> I think you know, it's, it, it's Leon definitely will not dispense of uh, Silvino um, at the very least until Christmas. Now Christmas, you'll see. Um, just how far Lyon are off the podium and whether they are in real danger of missing out on the Champions League. Of course, that's a goal for Lyon. That's what their budget is based on. Uh, um, and sort of the whole modus operandi is to sort of finish on the podium and be a stable challenger rather than a team that sort of you know hit or miss, unlike, unlike the rest of its rivals. So until then, we've got at least 13 games to play. I mean... Just for you know, for having one win less than Marseille uh, and Rennes, um, and really, you know, they've gotten Monaco and PSG out of the way. There's one game to come against Marseille in about five weeks. There is definitely scope to sort of improve. I mean, the next fixtures against Brest um, and uh, and Nantes as well on Saturday. So by by the end of the week, they could conceivably be back in sort of the top five. Um, and there are sort of, you know, we're still in the process where players are still sort of gelling to new systems, to new teams, um, and it's just, you know, not incumbent on them to sort of start playing around with, you know, fans' nerves and, and you know, for fans themselves to get overhead and excited themselves and get, you know, a bit frustrated at, um, you know, the team not doing so well. It's It's just only September. We've only had six games so far, there's plenty of football to be played, and and I definitely think if there's one team that you expect, you know, Leon have been in worse positions um, over the years and have still come back to finish strongly mm. in the end of the year. So you know that could possibly still happen. So patience for everybody, I would say. Yeah, I, I would agree completely. Olas tends to be quite rational with, with, with these things as well. There was um something that that struck my eye in the editorial in L'Equipe today, written by Regis Dupont, who was saying that. Lyon are ninth and they caused problems to PSG, which suggests that there's 17 teams ahead of them who can probably cause problems to PSG as well. Um, and obviously we have seen PSG struggle a little bit this season already against Rennes or, or Strasbourg. So going forwards, that, that could be an interesting uh, way of thinking as well. Some other PSG news, uh, Kylian Mbappe was named into the FIFA World Eleven for the best trophy ceremony. I mean, I don't know if we give a lot of credibility or, or merit to that trophy. No. 
No? Okay. That's a short, that's a, that's a short answer. I mean, when you see, obviously it's going far from the tangent at the moment, when you see Marcelo named in the same team at left-back, considering he wasn't even the best left-back <laughs> at his team, um, you know, is, I mean, this award has always been, a, not the award, but sort of the FIFA Pro team, has always been a bit of a popularity contest um, mm. and obviously holds Mod- no weight. Modric did nothing last season except... Well, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Indeed. in any case, the other French winners were all in the uh, women's World Eleven. Uh, Wendy Renard and Amandine Henry were there. Uh, so was Lucy Bronze from, from Lyon. Um, which takes me to... I'll just do the women's roundup right now because there was only one match this weekend and it was the same fixture as the one we just talked about, Lyon and PSG, the two dominating teams uh, in, in French women's football. They met they met in the first edition of the Trophée des Champions, which is the you know female equivalent of the Trophée des Champions, the Super Cup, if, if you will. Uh, that was played over in Guingamp. Lyon opened the scoring through Amel Majri with a fantastic left foot finish cutting in from the right. PSG equalized shortly after through Nadia Nadim. Uh, it was a pretty terrible mistake from, from Wendy Honard, actually, and not the first time this season that happened. And Lyon went on to win on a penalty shootout. Uh, Sarah Boadi, the goalkeeper, making two saves. So there's another trophy for Lyon this early in the season already. On Wednesday, PSG play Reims at home. Uh, Reims drew over the weekend with Monaco, 0-0. Not a very exciting match, but some fantastic saves, both from uh, Predrag, Rajkovic and Benjamin Leconte, who kept his first clean sheet of the season. PSG and Reims are the two best defences in the league so far, with only two goals conceded each. Uh, but I suspect PSG will win that pretty easily. Lyon travelled to Brest. Uh, Brest drew with Bordeaux on Saturday. It was 2-all. Uh, sort of unlucky for Brest because they would have been 3-1 up had their third goal not been disallowed for offside, I think it was. Um, and just a couple of minutes later, Bordeaux equalized through Pablo. Uh, Jimmy Briand had scored the first for, for Bordeaux. We were talking about him last week. So that's five without a loss for Bordeaux. So let's move on to our next big game from the weekend. Marseille-Montpellier 1-1. Mo. It was a pretty good performance from, from Marseille and somehow they were still lucky not to lose uh, if you take a kind of Montpellier perspective on this who who who, sco- who had two disallowed goals. Uh, in the end, it was a 1-1 draw. What did you make of it? Um, yeah, no, it was a bit of a funny game in that um, I think a lot of people can say that that was probably Owen's best performance of the season. Uh, in terms of offensive sort of performance, in terms of creating chances, and the continuation of showing sort of a bit of tenacity and a bit of sort of grit to to uh, sort of get back into the game um, and really force the issue. It's a sort of performance that you might have seen in uh, various points in Garcia's uh, first season towards um, the end of mm-hmm. uh, the 2018 season, where Owen would routinely sort of snatch points from losing positions. Um, but I think it was in the case where, and this given Saturday's game was a rare occasion for Marseille to top the table for uh, a couple of hours. In in that regard, it was a bit of a disappointing result because it would have been uh, very much uh, a boost um, to the team and to the fans to see the team uh, top the table after six games, at least for a couple of hours, considering 
the position that it was in over the summer, but also, uh, more importantly, to have recorded maximum points against uh, Monaco, Nice and Etienne Montpellier, um, which in the end, 10 out of 12 isn't too bad, um, considering that a lot of people before the season began listed those teams as direct rivals for OM for uh, a Europa League a position or worse. Um, and it was just one of those days where one team sort of hits you on the, on the sucker punch. It was Bruno Sarr who scored the own goal, um, with Amavi's flank being left open. It was a defensive error. Um, and then they spent more than an hour to sort of get back into the game and eventually did through uh, Valle Shaman. And like you mentioned, uh, Montpellier did have two goals ruled out, um, but they were offside. And that was, you know, there was no controversy about that. The goals were not legitimate. That's so true. therefore, it did not stand. I know a lot of people said that, well, you know, if they stood, Montpellier would have won by a comfortable margin. I mean, those, those were leg- probably the only chances that Montpellier had scored. Um, and, you know, it is what it is. But um, it was a bit annoying um, <laughs> in the fact that, you know, that the game, you know, it took so long for OM to convert. I mean, you know, it was, Benedetto did not have the, not the best game, but there were a lot of chances, the final pass and, and sort of the, the right decision in the, you know, in the final third was what was lacking. But that can be, we've, we've not seen Marseille sort of attack consistently and effectively for a long time. Um, normally comes in dribs and drabs, but this was more of a sustained pressure against on Montpellier team who were, you know, had their backs to the wall for large periods of the game, um, right from sort of the half hour mark all the way to the end. Um, so, uh, you know, a point is a fair, it's, it's a fair result. It's, it's, I, don't, I don't think it's the right result, but it's fair that, you know, in the sense mm-hmm. that Montpellier did their defensive duty. It was clear that, you know, in, like in many seasons, uh, gone past and and what they do, um, you know, against supposed big teams is that they, you know, they sort of defend and that's something they do well. They defend um, ardently. They they put their backs to the wall and they sort of absorb that pressure. And it's, it's, some, it's a tactic that's been working uh, for ages. So in the end, they came um, to get a point or better and that's what they got. So it was a successful result for them. Um, it was just a bit annoying for Marseille in that, you know, call heads could not prevail um, in stoppage time with, with, with the red cards, with, uh, with the injury to yeah. Alvaro as well that came after five minutes. He was definitely Elham's best defender in the first six games. Um, so it was, you know, they, I think f- for that game, sort of OM perhaps paid a heavy price and not just for the result, I don't think. Yeah, just to recap, it, there was a bit of a scuffle at the in extra time, which saw Buba Kamara Jordan Ferry get sent off um, in in kind of the first event, and just a minute later, Dimitri Payet. I don't really understand, um, and this is probably you know me being slightly a little bit biased, but you know, first of all, Dimitri Payet should have known better, but I don't think sort of that sort of flash in the pan deserved a second yellow um, or a quick fire second. It was effectively a quick red card, but. The, the speed that he got the two yellow cards um, was a bit astounding. I think the referee had been a bit flustered from the brawl that happened in stoppage time and, and had players all around him. And, and you know, having, having had his authority already questioned several times in that injury time period, to have, obviously, a, a player come up to him and, and tell him, I suppose, you know, tell him to go to a place that I probably couldn't say on this podcast, but... Um, 
you know, <laughs> he, 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 it was a, it was a, I think a heavy reaction. And I saw Bubakar Kamara. I mean, I saw the game and I thought, you know, Radonjic probably would have been sent off. I think a lot of people were expecting Radonjic to send off because he was the one that had That's the flaming true, yeah. arm. Had a flaming arm on Jordan Ferry first, uh, who shouldn't have, Jordan Ferry shouldn't have reacted as he did. But you know those two were clearly you know had arm had hands on each other in a bit of a mini slapping match, and then Kamara coming to defend his teammate with no hands or fists um, got the red card, which I found was Shoulder, pretty... shoulder into the back. Yeah, yeah there, there was something from Kamara. To be honest, I, I'm I. I thought a red card was harsh for Kamara, but yeah. forget the same as Payet. If you're going to be silly and, and barge in like that, then you're asking for trouble. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, I really thought Radonjic sort of deserved the red card. Had he been sent off for clearly playing the part in instigating that with his flailing hand, which it wasn't so much, you know, it had, it, had it gone to his chest or torso, a uh, ferris torso, where you could easily say it was just sort of the movement and, and the... Um, uh, you know the, the movement of the body, just kind of, you know, hand coming down. But he went straight, you know, unnaturally towards his face. And the fact that he kicked that off, I would have expected a red card for him. And now what I'm reading uh, in Lequipe just a few minutes ago is that um, they're both going to go to Paris to see the league um, on Wednesday, mm. and both could, you know, could get severe ban to for party. It could be anywhere between two to four games. But I think with with words, it's not going to be a, a severe a ban and he could expect maybe a game or two in addition to what he's received and Kamara's looking at a five to seven game ban. Um, if that, if that they would decide be... to go if they decide to go that far. Um, but the fact that they've already been summoned by the league because of the referees um, um, match report. Match reports, you know, mm. suggests that it's not exactly gonna be something that's gonna be nipped in the bud pretty soon. Yeah, well, the, that I mean, those suspensions would, of course, you know, be very harmful, especially with the upcoming fixture list for Marseille, which has some quite important um, uh, oppositions. What I found most amusing in that in that kind of scuffle was the referee kind of sort of bear hugging Jordan Ferry as if to keep him out of trouble, trouble, only to red card him minutes. I mean, seconds later for what had just happened before. Um, I mean, referees don't usually go into physical contact with any players or anything. And this guy took a very <laughs> strong man approach at trying to break up, the, breaking up the fight, which I thought was was quite fun. Uh, Jeremy, there was there there was someone that Mo didn't mention, and that was the I don't think you mentioned him, Mo. Uh, the Marseille goal scorer Valère Germain, two and two for him. Yeah, I'd, I've always been a fan of Germain. I think he's always got maybe a, a little bit too much stick from Marseille fans. I, I I don't think he's ever been played, or under Garcia, I don't think he was ever played to his strengths. Um, uh, I, I, you know, I said it throughout last year, and, and I actually said it about um, Mitroglou as well, that I, I think had they been played together as a, as a front two, I think they could have worked really well together. Um, so, and I actually, I, I sort of feared for his place, because I think he's a relatively similar player to Benedetto. Um, but you know he's he's such an intelligent player. He's not the kind of player that you would sort of be um, expecting to score, sort of you know to be your top scorer um, every season. He's more of a, a sort of second striker anyway. Um, but it's yeah, it's great to see him in the goals. I think 
um, you know, however much stick he gets from Marseille fans, I think that most of them would, would um, at least sort of give him credit for, for working hard, for being a good professional, all that kind of thing. So I think you know, if, he, if he can get on a, on a little bit of a scoring run, certainly obviously with Benedetto scoring, I guess maybe it's the fact that the pressure is a little bit less on him now. And so he can sort of focus more on his game, which, like I said, isn't necessarily scoring, but as a sort of byproduct of being more relaxed and being more confident to do the rest of it, he, he, he's also going to pop up with the goals. And, and uh, yeah, hopefully he'll go on a good run that I think his, his attitude... Um, deserves and uh, I'm not sure mm. the Marseille fans have stuck with him the whole time actually but um, uh, yeah hopefully they'll see the benefits of it. And Mo um, maybe just tell us a little bit as well about Maxime Lopez I thought he was he was quite good against Montpellier can you just talk us through some of his uh, you know some of his main qualities? Maxime Lopez um, yeah no you're right he had an interesting game um, at the weekend, and I think the fact that you know he's he's just been asked to sort of focus on the you know, passing free role um, sort of midfield position um, is helping him a lot because um, having sort of playing with two forty-three-one uh, sort of gives him a lot of the defensive responsibilities that his profile is not really suited to. He's very very critical to sort of uh, the turnover, the play that OM, the fast turnover. Of play that OM need to, you know, sort of impact have have on their game, um, in order to sort of create and unlock potential opportunities. And he's very integral to that. He's working well with Morgan Sanso, who's a player with, you know, largely similar qualities. But whereas Sanso was a sort of driver um, mm-hmm. of the team, sort of Lopez is required to sort of slow down the play and you know, move into pockets of space and try and find the sort of the killer final pass. And I think his 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 importance to the team is now uh, you know, a bit more uh, overstated in the fact that Payet, who used to play in the number 10 position, is now shifted out wide. So you know, the club needs to rely on a person with at least a similar level of passing quality uh, to sort of do the job. And, and Lopez is clearly the, the better of the bunch out of the midfield trio. So it's good to see um, that he's sort of improving. But I, I feel like while obviously you've given him praise for the in the beginning of this uh, sort of piece, um, if you look at his um, his debuts now three years ago uh, in October 2016, um, I don't think he's fully progressed as a player, and I still feel like he's carrying sort of the same level of performance that he did um, mm. when he was sort of 18. Um, I was go- I was going to ask about that. Has he ever had a good away game? Yes, um, the fact the game that he scored twice, and I remember it was. <laughs> It was the first game that, uh, oh, not the first game, sorry, it was against Khan, uh, where Owen won 5 1 away from home. He scored two and Tovan scored three. Um, oh, yeah. And then against Dijon as well, that, uh, in a game that will obviously take place tomorrow. In one of the fixtures, I think that's where he scored his first goal uh, for OM. So he's had, he's had decent sorry. away games, but they are few. Okay. So turning up against the big teams like Tovan does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could say that. Um, As you mentioned there, Marseille play against uh, Dijon on uh, Tuesday, Uh, a special day for Stéphane Jobard, um, who's the Dijon manager and last season was the the Marseille assistant uh, manager, assistant to Rudy Garcia. 
in uh, in other uh, Marseille news, Mahmoud, I don't know if you saw this, Mamadou Nyang is now the sporting director for Atletico Marseille in fifth division. Uh, they are the disapp- fifth? Wow. Yeah. Wasn't it not that long ago where they were very close to get, uh, get, getting entry to Ligue 2? Yeah, they missed out on goal difference. Yeah, very, very, like, was it two years ago or something? I think it was two years in a row that they just missed out. Yeah. I was about to say, um, that that was Marseille Consolat, but they just changed names, didn't they? And that was other known as Atletico. Yeah, it was just brand name. Okay, yeah. Although I find Atletico Marseille, especially with a H, it's a bit bit ridiculous. And it's a bit, um, you know, uh, it's a disappointing know, it's, mistake to make for I me. Mean, yeah, there's a certain, there's a certain sort of, pro- yeah, anyway, I'll tell you how to keep my opinions to myself. But Let's move on and uh, take a little look at one of the, uh, for me, one of the most exciting matches of the week. Montpellier-Nîmes, it's of course, a, a, you know, a massive rivalry. It was a huge fixture in the, in, in the 80s. Uh, these teams regularly played against each other. And I think last year was the first time in something like 10 years that they met, um, something like that. And it's a very fierce rivalry. Montpellier-Nîmes, for anyone who doesn't know, they're two cities that are about 30, 40 kilometers away. Uh, there's this kind of symbolic separation by the, the Gare River. Um, um, so, Jeremy, how do, we, how do you feel going into this one? Montpellier have looked, in my opinion, they've looked quite good across a number of matches this season, but they haven't always won. Um, obviously, this week, they'll they'll be under big pressure to get a result against against their rivals. Yeah, they haven't had... It hasn't felt like a brilliant start to the season, but then they they had a little bit of disruption in the summer, I mean, particularly with the, the sort of the late, the late sales of Le Comte and Aguilar, who are so important to them. Um, mm. So... I, th- I think um, is it really who's who's in goal for them? I think he's had a, yeah. a fantastic. He's had a really good start to the season, and yeah. arguably been better than Lecomte so far. Um, as in better than Lecomte's been doing for for Monaco. I mean, um, so it's it's difficult. You know, similarly to what we were saying to with Leon, with a lot of teams, it's difficult for to to kind of um, adapt that quickly when you lose such two such important players. Um, but then uh, the rest of the team, you've got um, Delors and Laborde still up front, who did so well last year. You've still got similar central defence. So uh, I don't know. In, in a way, I think they've. I agree that the, the performance, the results haven't necessarily matched the performances. And, and you know, just taking for example the, the first match of the season against Wren, I thought they were extremely unlucky. And, and you know, I could do a separate podcast, maybe not with Rich, about how disgustingly lucky Wren seemed to be week in week out. I think they were again this week. <laughs> but, uh, that's a, a separate issue. Um, so yeah, I mean Mont- Montpellier, I think were a little unlucky in that match. But generally, I think maybe they should be doing slightly better than they are. But yeah, mm. this match is perfectly poised with both teams with pretty much identical records, and Nîmes you know, a lot more so, I'd say, than, than Montpellier had the sort of heart ripped out of their team in the summer. So. Um, for them to, I think, still be playing reasonably entertaining football and and still be mid-table at this stage, I think, is 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 a testament to to the way that the whole club is set up right now. To the the clever signings that they made, Philippe Poto, who, who scored a great goal at the weekend, is a mm. you know an experienced league 1 player who 
or relatively experienced anyway, who, um, you know, again, has, has come in and, and maybe taken the place of, uh, you know, not like, not like for like, but um, where Teji Savanya has, has, has left to, to, to go to Montpellier, they've, they've replaced, replaced him with someone who's been there and done that in Liga. They've, they've signed Fairhat, who for me is the, is the Liga signing of the summer. I think it was a fantastic signing. So I, I think Nima is still an exciting team to watch. Um, although I think you know, in a derby like this, I think sort of entertaining football goes out of the window. I think this is all about getting the points and, and sort of local bragging rights. And, and there were some tense situations in both matches last year and, and uh, it could happen yeah. again. I just, I hope that sort of, you know, the, the entertainment is more on the pitch than in the stands or, or uh, outside the stadium. Well, I think the Neem fans are, aren't travelling uh, this time around. Um, unfortunately, in my opinion, um, the atmosphere is, is only, you know, only losers from the absence of, of fans. Yeah. Uh, I should have mentioned that they won over the weekend against Toulouse, another southern team, of course. Uh, one nil win. Goal from Romain Filippotto, as you mentioned, who signed from Auxerre this summer and I was kind of surprised to learn he, he's 31. I thought he was a, a little bit younger. Mo, um, Jeremy touched on them briefly, but Montpellier have a fantastic front kind of attacking trio with uh, uh, Gaëtan Laborde, Andy Delors uh, and Florent Mollet, who on their day, they can, they can really be a deadly striker. Um, on their day, but I don't think we see that day uh a lot, and especially with the defensive formation they seem to be taking in the vast majority of their games. Mm. Um, I, there was, a, there was um, some comment on Saturday um, that I took a little bit of issue with in that sort of Montpellier had shown sort of their redeeming qualities and the sort of qualities that, you know, will help propel them to Europa League position. And I think that because of this defensive nation, because of this sort of focus on just, you know, absorbing the opposition and 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 um, you know just being defensively minded um, most of the time, um, and obviously with uh, the coach the Zakarian playing um, you know three five two or five three two and you know really defensively minded, it takes away from the creativity um, mm. because I mean I'm not going to say it's easy to be defensively minded, but you know you, you, there's not a sort of a lot to think about in terms of how you're going to unlock a position, especially when teams come up to your home pitch and sort of just put up camp like Montpellier did on, on Saturday and they'll no doubt do it against any team in the top six over the coming uh, weeks and months. Um, and I was just thinking in that if you look at Montpellier over the last three seasons, there's been numerous times where they've been lauded for their defensive display, where they've conceded the second or, or third, uh, you know, least goals in the league and everyone's sort of raving about how, you know, 42, you know, Vitorino Hilton still does the job. Um, and then you wonder why they're not into the top five, why they don't finish in Europa League places, why, um, mm. despite all of that, um, the likes of, uh, you know, Ren and Senetien and, and Strasbourg at times, um, you know, finish above them or, or qualify for Europe and reach those objectives before they do. Um, and like you mentioned, why they have, you know, now that they have a cracking front three, they're still relying on, you know, drips and drives of opportunities and games. Because I just feel that, you know, People rave at Montpellier a bit Jekyll and Hyde, um, in that people rave about them, you know, con- mm. you know, not conceding, keeping the clean sheets, and and being defensively wonderful. And then when they play, uh, you know, a team in the bottom half, if they play Metz or Brest at home, and 
and they end up you know failing to drop uh, you know get points and they drop you know two or three important points um you know it just it, it cancels everything out so you you know i've no doubt they've got exciting players and i think they've got this, this interesting squad and 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 a tactical nous um and you know, decent manager in to to reach those goals. I think they just need to utilize them a bit more, be a bit less fearful, um, and not you know be hankered on sort of this desire to just not concede goals. Um, be a bit more creative and really get the best out of their forward line as well. I, I would agree with that assessment com- completely, and it's true that you know there's Zakarian's kind of defensive, well, his, his love for defensive setups is a bit of a disservice for the front three who, who, who are a fantastic trio when they, when they play well. I mean, obviously, there's like, you know, when, when he was at Reims, I remember, I mean, it was nil-nil every week, basically. It, it's often like that with Montpellier as well. Yeah. The one point is that, you know, he, has a, he gets along very well with the three of them, and the three of them are very happy to, you know, put in those defensive efforts and, and, and be kind of team players um, with respect to that. And I admire them almost more thanks to that. Andy Delors in particular, I think, is he fits in perfectly with the culture and the tradition of I mean, Mobile is kind of a family club, but a special def- definition of family. Um, it's, it's a specific uh, kind of su- French Southern atmosphere, uh, which I, I think Andy Delors, you know, he, he, he's right at home there. I, any score predictions very quickly on this one? Jeremy? Uh, I'll go for a scratchy 1-0 win for Montpellier. Mo? Uh, I'd go... Um, because I'm slightly annoyed at the way they sort of approach the Saturday. <laughs> I'm going I'm to go for a 2-1 win for Nîmes. Well, I'll go... Uh, I'll go 1-0 for Montpellier as well. I, I agree with that one, Jeremy. Right. Uh, next match from the weekend... Angers-Saint-Étienne, uh, a spectacular match, really. Slightly unexpected, at least for me. Saint-Étienne opened the scoring and then collapsed completely. Angers for Saint-Étienne won. Hat-trick for Casimir Ninga. Uh, Jeremy, exceptional news for him after a pretty tough season along with everyone else at Caen last year. I mean, what a way to come back and, and set his mark on the start of the season. Yeah, brilliant. I, mean, I I read that I think it's the first substitute to score a hat trick in in Liga since two thousand and seven. So it it's, been is, a, it's yeah. been a long time coming. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's fant- you know great for him. Really good finishes as well. A bit of a, a mix of different kinds of finishes as well. Um, possibly the score was slightly flattering for for Angers, seeing as a couple of the goals came very late on. But um, you have to say that that. Saint-Étienne really look in disarray. I mean, they, they were okay in the first half, but just certainly the, the defence especially was just all over the place in the second half. And, and Angers, we know, sort of, um, have got a lot of talented footballers and we know will always give 100%, that kind of thing. But um, at times in the second half, they, they sort of look like like Barcelona or something. And, and um, <laughs> it's it's concerning how 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 sort of I guess without a plan, Saint-Étienne looked, and it's a pity because I, I I really like Printemps, and and I think he's a you know really good football man and a good guy. But um, I mean, it does it doesn't look great for him. It doesn't look quite like he's up up to it. And there's already lots of rumours circling about 
know, Romayo wants called Puel to come in and Cayazzo well, has already phoned Patton we'll to get see to if he wants to come back. In, in, in just a second. On the pitch, what's what's hurting Saint-Etienne most? Is it the lack of a striker? Is it the kind of injury crisis they have at the back? And uh, obviously they had a, you know, Europa League match on Thursday as well, which they lost. But yeah, they haven't won since opening day of the season, um, which is pretty bad news. But, you know, if you're, if you're Gislain Prince, what do you do now? Uh, I think, like you mentioned, um, the fact that you don't have a sort of a recognised strike. I mean, Berish for me is just not sort of the the big name, sort of number nine, the Berlin number nine, um, mm-hmm. that's able to sort of grab uh, 10, 10, 15 league goals that other teams have, especially their rivals. Um, and I think that's what's hamstringing them a little bit. Um, but like, like, I just want to sort of double down on the point that Jeremy made. I think the score did look a bit, a bit flattering, especially mm. when you imagine that the score is 1-1 and then they managed to still break on Hamouma and Kazri as well. Um, so sort of three goals in 12 minutes um, just looked very bad from a defensive point of view rather than um, sort of rather than um, the whole team sort of letting themselves down. I think Makudi yeah. in particular... Um, Bukudi in particular looked just a bit hopeless um, after going ahead. I think they just the whole. I mean, it's just normal for sort of teams to just drop their heads a little bit, especially that you know they went two one down and then three one down very quickly. And I think just the fourth one was um, the, the beneficial of just you know a lot of space at the back after the players just sort of lost all um, sort of focus on the match and stuff. Um, I think it's a bit unfair um, for the rumours today about they wanted Panton sacked. Uh, for 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 the president to ask him to leave, um, which is a bit bizarre for me. I'll you know asking a manager to leave and just pack his bag that he's going to accept, um, because like like we mentioned uh, for Silvino at Leon uh, at the beginning of this uh, podcast, it's six games is just far too early, um, and they've only lost three of their games, and you know it's 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 a position that they can definitely claw back from. So. Well, dispelling. I mean, they can, especially if, if, I mean, like I said, you are playing two games in the week and if they manage to sort of, you know, do well, um, then this time next week, all the criticism, or most of the criticism will be dispelled. Um, and it's a position where they just need to sort of double down on and, and you know, just work um, more efficiently and, and perhaps try a couple of new, uh, new solutions. Um, there's a couple of players um, de- defensively, but also up front, they haven't been able to uh, be, a, you know, at the level that they've been expected. Um, I don't think Budibuz, um who who came uh, who came off yesterday, was uh, in particular any good. Um, and the fact that Europa League is also, um, you know, this this having a bit of issue um, on sort of the way they approach games as well, having just come back from a very demoralising defeat three days ago as well. Um, there's there's opportunities. They still got a couple of players out, um, and I think when they have a complement of a full team and just some uh, more time, things will start to look better. But yeah, overall, I think the game yesterday flattered Angers, who I think, and I think we'll speak about this in, in a little while. Um, you know, people are raving <laughs> the fact that they're second, but I think they they are um, a team that can blow hot and cold. Even though they've got a couple of individual players who are doing. Well, but if you look at the fact they're second and their home form is great, they've played more home games than anybody else. And it's the home form that's um, sort of saving them at the moment. Because if you look at the away form, I mean, they've only played twice away, but they've been... Uh, they've lost the both six, away. They're, they're the bottom of the away. 
yeah. exactly their bottom of their weight table, but top of the home table. Um, so, I mean, I don't think they're going to go for a 19-19 record <laughs> uh, come the season's end. But I think there's it's a bit too early to start, uh, you know, you completely praising them and um, falling over uh, over for them. I think those players still need to be tested a little bit. But again, they've scored the goals. They've and and the fact that the goals are spread out over the Angers side as well. You know, Mingo uh, is top scorer with three, but the goals have been fairly even spread around uh, through Capel and uh, um, and uh, the guy that scored two. Uh, completely forget um, Malali. Yeah, so like the goals are spread around and it's, it's a good indication of where they are. But I think we've still got to see how they go over the next couple of couple of weeks. But, you know, all indications point to that they can sort of have the impact they did in their first season back in the top flight and end Christmas somewhere, <laughs> uh, end the season at Christmas somewhere in the top uh, five or six. Yeah, we'll see. That's their first home win to Saint- against Saint-Étienne since 1976. Um, I mean, obviously, they spent most of the time since then not in first division, but but still, that's a good record to overturn. Uh, Jeremy, let, let's keep with the role play a little bit. If you are Roland Romeyer or, or Bernard Cayozo, the two chairmen of, of Saint-Étienne, and, and putting aside any bias due to the fact that they're playing Metz uh, <laughs> next, uh, later in the week, you know, apparently they... they Called up. Uh, apparently, they got in touch with Jean-Louis, who was obviously there last year and did very well with them. Apparently, they've talked with Printemps about the situation. What what action would you take in their place in the coming weeks? I don't. I mean, I agree with what what Mo said um, about mm-hmm. Saint Etienne and about Lyon to an extent. Um, I think a lot depends on in both cases on their results until the next international break. And by the way, the last match before the international break is Saint-Étienne against Lyon. So Ooh. I think possibly <laughs> at least one manager's job could be on the line after that. But um, I, I, I mean, I, I, yeah, as Mo said, I think it's far too early to get rid of Printemps. The only thing is that obviously we don't know everything that's going on in the background. And if um, both of the presidents, and I, I think one of the issues with Saint-Étienne is that um, there's, you know, it was there was Rochetour as well, who's not so much involved now, but um, still Kayatso and Romaya, who, who doesn't seem clear whose role is what. So that, I don't think that helps matters. But if they both seem to be looking elsewhere and looking at possible replacements, then it does make you think there is something seriously wrong in the background, and it's not just a case mm-hmm. of a, a slow start to the season. But I mean, you've got to you've got to think that it's it's far too early really to 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 get rid of him and. As you said, you know, they're playing mess at home. That should really be a gimme three points. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's hope it gets better for them because, I mean, I thought they were oh, a very fun team to mess, watch last yes. year. Huh? Yeah. Ne- starting next weekend, let's say. <laughs> yeah, that's better. <laughs> right. Um, let's move on to Rennes-Lille. Uh, we'll, we'll be, let's be kind of brief on this one. Jeremy, uh, 1-1 final score. Tell us why you think Rennes- we're lucky this time uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh well i mean it's not all luck obviously Lille, i thought uh were the better team for for two-thirds of the match and then did well to come back into it but um you know that uh i thought mendy maybe could have could have 
got sent off possibly he was a little bit lucky to stay on um i'm trying to remember now there was another incident which i thought even with the with renz equalizing goal um niang probably pulled font out of the way when font had what looked like a, an easy clearing header that he was about to make so yeah yeah again i just think that that Ren are getting all of the rub of the green in a way that just no other team seems to get. It's insane, I think. I also think they're a very dirty team and get 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 away with quite a lot as well. But, you know, credit to them. They they like Lille, they came back from a, a disappointing European result and, and showed some character to get back into this one as well. But um uh, you know, if, if any team can feel a little bit hard done by that they didn't get the three points, I think you have to say that it was Lille. I mean, I'll say this now that Rich isn't is away, but I find them a little bit annoying as well sometimes. I think I've just seen too much of them this year, to be honest. Um, I'm not used to it. Um, so oh, by the way, Cam- that... Camavinga is fantastic, but there's no That's way true. he deserves player of the month. <laughs> <laughs> I, I well, agree with you there. <laughs> <laughs> More Ren controversy. Rich, if you listen to this, <laughs> we're sorry. Uh, we should mention that Adrien Une Unu scored again um, after he scored early in the season. I can't remember which match that was, um, but good for him. And the lead goal was Jonathan Icone, who's the man on form. Um, a, a generous assist from um, from Vic Drossenhen for that goal. Right. Uh, derby number two this week is Rennes, Nantes, or rather uh, it's Nantes-Rennes, isn't it? It's played in Nantes. Uh, Nantes lost on Friday to Strasbourg, 2-1. Um, Koulibaly scored again. He's the man on form for them this year. But Strasbourg clinched it with the late, Ludo- late Ludovic Ajorc penalty. Do we have any predictions for this match? Um, Mo, um, anything I to think, say? Yeah, I think uh, Nantes uh, will edge that. Um, I'm hoping they do a little bit as well, but I think, uh, you know, save for, save for the annoying reversal they had in Strasbourg, uh, they've um, sort of been decent in grinding out results, particularly at home. They beat Montpellier um, by a score of 1-0 as well. So I think, uh, you know, I'd, I'd expect them to continue. And, and, and Rennes have not been, sort of, they've had a very poor September so far, been, you know, have not, since that PSG and Strasbourg wins, they've not really had the rub of the green, losing uh, losing to Nice, and then, you know, this sort of series of draws that they've had, and being a bit, you know, lopsided and a bit you know, sort of lumpy in, in, in their football at the moment. Um, so, I mean, it'll be an interesting game, um, but I think uh, not uh, would edge that, because I just feel like they've been a bit more wholesome, um, sort of, uh, you know, in, in terms of their performances over the past... A couple of weeks, so yeah, and the, the fact that they're a bit formidable, more formidable at home than and and away. Um, so I'll pull that down that's, to home yeah. three points. That's true, and, and Ren might you know feel some fatigue because their schedule has been piling up in the past. Exactly, week. exactly. They have to get into that rhythm a little bit. Um, it's it's only the beginning of the season. I mean, Jeremy... I, I I I'd want them to lose as well because the fact they play Marseille on Sunday as well. Um, so. <laughs> That obviously would be an added bonus. <laughs> uh, yeah, for me, I, 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 think, <laughs> I think this yeah, one sorry, could go. Yeah, sorry, Jeremy. 
No, I was just going to say that I, I agree with Mo. I think both teams are quite schizophrenic, so it could go either way. But the fact that Nantes have got a good home record and the fact that um, they should be quite a bit fresher than, than Rennes, that's sort of four four games in, in, what, like 10 days or something like that. For Rennes, maybe it will sort of start to, to catch up to them a little bit. So, um, yeah, if I had to put money on a team to win, I think it would be, would be on Nantes. Obviously, it's not even just the fact that it's a derby. There's also uh, Christian Gourcouf going back to his former team as well. So um, maybe a little bit more edge to it in that sense as well. Yeah, we'll, we'll see how that goes. So any score predictions? Uh, we said Nantes would edge it. Uh, uh, yeah. I, Probably I, I, think I would agree with you. Yeah. I was going to say home 1-0 or so. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds a doesn't sound uh, unrealistic. Um, so one more match to go over from the weekend. And seeing as we have you on, Jeremy, I mean, we'll, we'll take a little minute to talk about Mess. Uh, <laughs> it was a 2-1 defeat at, at home, correct? To Amiens yeah. Yeah. Uh, over the weekend. What did you make of that? Uh, same old, same old. Just... That... <laughs> Just year in, year out, it seems like they're maybe slightly too good for Ligue 2, but still not good enough for Ligue 1. And, mm. um, there's, I mean, the, the one positive to the start of the season has been that Habib Diallo, who a lot of Mess fans thought wasn't good enough to yeah. make step up to Ligue 1, he, he's looked very good. But the problem is he's practically the only player who has looked good. Um, I thought it was similar to last week. Last week against Bordeaux, they... We gave Bordeaux like a 2-0 lead in the first 10 minutes. And for the rest of the match, played some nice football, but a little bit, not directionless, but there wasn't any cutting edge. Then this week, similar kind of thing. It wasn't that we played badly on the whole, but just two poor pieces of defending. And, and then if you're, if you're a team who doesn't score regularly anyway, then you know, generally you only need to, to, to concede one or two and you're in serious trouble. Um, but the one, the one sort of positive was that Traore, who's come in on loan from, from Monaco, looked very good when he came on. So, I mean, is hopefully... This... If... Mess has... Are you talking about Adama Traore? Well, we've got two Adama Traore. That's what I was about to ask, yeah. <laughs> um, and it's, yeah. So the it's not the one, one. That's in, okay. Not the one that's in Middlesbrough, not the one that we had last year as well, but the one that just <laughs> came in from Monaco. Um so if he can stay fit and, and make a place for himself in the first team, then hopefully at least we'll have a little bit more creativity and there'll be something for, you know, some service for players like Diallo and Nian to work from. Um, but it's it's not looking good. It was, you know, it was a positive start to the season with a, a battling draw at Strasbourg and then a really good win against Monaco. But it hasn't been great since. And all right, there's no shame in losing to PSG or even losing at Bordeaux, but... Home matches against Amiens, as good as Amiens are, they're the kind of matches that you have to look to take three points from if you want to have a chance of staying up. So, uh, and I wanted to ask great. you as well about the, the managerial setup with kind of Fred Antonetti. He has this strange role as a kind of remote mentor for, for Vincent Union. Is that something that's working out well, do you think? It's hard to say. I mean, last year it worked out very well. But it was in Ligue 2. This year, That's right, um, yeah. the, the sort of the titles of their roles have changed. So now Antonetti's more like a director of football and Onion is the coach. And um, I don't know, the, the, 
the story last year, which I think stretched into this year, is that Antonetti watches, you know, watches all the matches from home, and then he'll he'll sort of still dictate um, tactics and things like that during the week. But it's Onyo who who sort of manages everything on the day and picks the team and that kind of thing. So mm. I mean, in a way, it, not that it works out well for Antonetti, and obviously the circumstances are, are very sad because his his wife's yeah. not well and that's why he's not there. But certainly, you know. On, Last year, when Mess went up, Antonetti shared a lot of the credit. And this year, when things are going badly, it's Onion that's getting all the stick. Um, I don't know if that's fair or not, but I mean, it probably is fair to say that Onion isn't exactly a, a sort of top, top class coach. Um, so it was always going to be the case, I think, that he was going to be bear the brunt of, of uh, any bad results. Um, but I mean, Looking at the at the squad, I'm not sure that there's anyone else that would do that much better. I still think mm. they they should be able to scrape survival, but like I said, it's it's home matches against Stamia that you need to win if that's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. And a mention as well for Serou Girassi, who scored both Amiens goals. Right. Let's move on to the preview of the midweek's big match, Monaco Nice. Uh, nice won over the weekend against Dijon, 2-1. Uh, it was the first goal for Kevin Dolberg, Casper Dolberg, <laughs> um, assisted by Unas, and uh, a goal for Youssef Attal, a fantastic goal for Youssef Attal, as mm-hmm. happens quite often. Um, Dijon scored first through Julio Tavares, but, you know, still no win for them, still last with just the one point. So Nice take on Monaco, who avoided the worst, as we mentioned earlier, against Reims, nil-nil draw. But you, I mean, you would have to say Nice are favourites for this one. Yeah, um, probably because they're obviously clearly playing better, uh, better football and have a more confident team as well. I think Monaco showed on Saturday that despite, you know, getting a clean sheet finally after conceding 14 goals, um, that they were sort of bereft of a couple of ideas and it's only Lecomte finding his 2018-19 self that really uh, stopped it from becoming, you know, uh, an even more disappointing result. Um, and I just think Nice uh, you have, you know, play with a bit of swagger. They they are a functional team. They are, um, you know, playing um playing well um you saw in the games uh, recently mm. they, uh, especially against Marseille as well um you know they 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 do pose a threat uh, across all areas although i think if i'm correct uh, dante may, may, might be out for this game um on wednesday on i think it's on wednesday but that's something tomorrow. that yeah. yeah it's tomorrow yeah so that's something that passed my eye a bit earlier but nevertheless i mean for monaco if they are going to uh sort of start the fight back here, having a bit of a tiff with your coach about the formation that you play and and the fact that also, you know, Stad Louis is really, you know, it's already empty in the best of days as well. So it's hardly going to be sort of the unlikely venue for a, for a, for a major comeback and a revival in fortunes. And I thought that tomorrow we'll see um, a big indication of whether Jardin will be you know, sent packing um, mm. In the in the coming weeks or not, because obviously it's a, it's a derby. They would have played um, three decent teams in Lyon, Marseille, and Nice uh, by this point in the season. Um, and if 
the, their winless run, I think, stretches. I think they've they failed to win 14 of the last 15 league on games, stretching back as well to last season, if I'm correct. Um, so this is a big indication of of what they can achieve. And we've spoken about how at one point in the season the defense was doing well, but the attacking uh, output wasn't great. And now it's Slimani and uh, Benyevi who are doing well, and the, the defense has all uh, gone to pieces. Um, so you know, there's they are a good team on paper. This is a big match. This is a this is a, um, a place for sort of the team to stand up and be counted. Um, and I think um, possibly, despite all of that, they might be able to sneak a victory uh, purely because really? there's literally no room to error, no room for error. So <laughs> um, yeah, we'll see how it goes. But I think it's definitely an enthralling game that we could possibly be watching. Yeah, um, here on the, I feel like here on the GFFN show, we haven't talked a huge amount about Nice so far this season. Um, at least for a team that's, you know, they're currently third in the league. We, we haven't, you know, spent a, a lot of time talking about them. A number of very exciting young players, some of which who have just signed for the club, that, that can really light it up. Um, which ones stand out for you? Uh, for me, I mean, Atal obviously is the, is the standout one. And as you said, you know, he's, he's supposed to be a defender, but Vieira seems to be well on the way to converting him, converting him into a, a more forward wide player. And his finish the other day was, was really fantastic. And mm. um, looks like he's coming back to, to the form of last year. But yeah, all, all the way through the team, there's a lot of talent. Um, even looking at, you know, Lusamba, who a few years ago was going to be one of the next big things and, and never really quite made it, but he, he's, he's being given chances by, by Vieira now. Um, and Soki and, and Perma doing well um, in the defence, and Soki obviously coming in mm. from PSG. Um, so that there's talent all the way through. Unas, I'm still not 100% sold on, but um, did okay at the weekend. Dolberg, I think, is is quite a clever signing because he's, he's still so young, but he's sort of already had sort of highs and lows at Ajax. So he comes into the team, I think, quite hungry to, to, to prove his doubt as well. Um, and, and obviously now quite angry, seeing as he's, he's uh, one watch down. Um, so I think, yeah, I think that there's talent all the way through. And, and um, the big thing for, and obviously the other, I guess the, the other big signing was Alexis Claude Maurice, who, who got such great reviews yeah. um, at on last year. So um, another player who's, I think, you know, turned down moves to the Premier League, but probably will see Nice as a kind of good stepping stone to, to really make a name for himself and maybe secure a bigger move in the next year or two. So Vieira's got, I think, an, a nice mix of, of um, experience and youth, although probably, I was going to say maybe more youth than he wants. I'm not, um, that's not necessarily the case, but at times possibly a lack of experience may may affect them, but they're such, they're such a talented bunch. And he's now been able to bring in some, some really talented attacking players. Um, so uh, mm. I think most people are quite excited to see what, what he's going to be able to do with them this year, because last year he, he effectively had no attack the whole season. Um, it was only really Sam Maxingan was doing anything, and, and he sort of you know, is very much a sort of hot and cold player. And, yeah. and 
in his defence, is supposed to be setting up goals. He's not supposed to be finishing them. But he had no one to provide any service to. Now you've got Dolberg, you've got um, potentially Claude Maurice who can play there. You've got even Ganogo, who's a, a year older now. You've got players there who who can sort of be a focal point. Um, you've got, again, Atal, who Vieira has converted into an attacking player. And so there's there's a lot more scope for the team to be more expansive and maybe more uh, a throwback to the Favre and Pouel years where they, where they were so good going forwards. And uh, I hope for, not for the owner, because I hate the owner, but I hope that, <laughs> that for, for, for Nice as a club, because I think they're quite a likeable club, and Vieira, who's... Um, I think very likable and really doing a, a good job in his first few years as coach. I, ho- I hope they do well, and I hope that he proves as adept as a sort of expansive attacking coach as he proved last year as a defensive coach. I have high hopes for him. Um, if Arsenal ever is on the market for a manager, which you know could be happening in the in you know in the not short term future exactly, but soon enough. I really hope it would be him personally. Uh, we have a Twitter question here from Arman Khan, who's asking, um, he's referencing some of the rumors in the past few days about Monaco reaching out to Claude Puel. And he's wondering if Monaco should be doing better than Claude Puel. I mean, I, I would think Puel is a great option for Monaco, but I don't know if anybody disagrees. I saw that message as well. Um... And I probably, you know, I think a lot of the names that I mentioned uh, are definitely on the table at the moment. And Claude Puel mm. is a sensible choice purely because obviously his background um, at Monaco, his knowledge of Liga, and but also his, um, you know, the fact that he's coached a number of teams um, that are in the sort of stable position. Um, and I think a call ahead should prevail for Monaco if they do sort of dispense with Jardin and bring in, uh, seek to bring in a coach. They've already, you know, messed up the last two choices in bringing in a completely uh, <laughs> inexperienced coach in Thierry Henry and then bringing, um, you know, the footballing equivalent of an ex-girlfriend back, um, <laughs> uh, which clearly didn't work out uh, no matter what you think of each other, no matter how good the, the how good you were together. It's just, it's just something that doesn't work. Um, so I think going with a safe and stable pair of hands is the right way to go. And I think they could do a lot worse. Uh, than Claude Poe, given the managerial market's a bit saturated. I mean, Mourinho is angling for a job, and people hint that he might be looking at France, given the amount of media engagements he's, did with, he's done in France over the past uh, six months or so. Um, but let's be honest, things might be take a bit of an uptick, but then Monaco will probably be back where they started uh, 18 months from now, possibly with Mourinho in charge. Um, so, yeah, um, you could do a lot worse than Poe, I think. Yeah, I would agree. Um, and just about, you know, getting back with exes, I, I, w- I would like to point out that Zidane is second in the league it, over in Spain, second only to Bilbao. Um, well, they've so had despite... a lot of criticism their way as well. You know, um, the league four might be starting to slip up, uh, sort of stabilise a little bit. But, uh, yeah, uh, you know, they've, they've not exactly been hitting top gear at the moment. And with Barcelona floundering, um, at the moment, uh, it's well, they're not also been so great. Ahead of yeah, Atletico, and they beat Sevilla over the weekend. Sevilla, who were off to a good start, as far as yeah. I know. So I don't think it's as dire as losing three 0 to PSG in the Champions League. No, of course, suggest not, no. for them. But 
Um, so uh, let's just finish up the preview with our usual score predictions. Uh, Mo, you thought Monaco might edge it? Yeah, I'm going to go for 2-1. Jeremy? Uh, I'm going to go... Uh, just to be different, I'll say 2-1 Nice. <laughs> I'll go 2-0 Nice. I, I really think they should be winning it. Even with uh, even with Benyadere and Slimani possibly coming back in the team, I have hopes for this Nice team. Right, so that's all for Ligue 1. I'll proceed to a quick Ligue 2 roundup. Um, earlier tonight, Lorient beat Rodez 2-1, so they go back in first place. Uh, seeing as Le Havre drew again over the weekend, 2-2 with Orléans. There was a tense game on Friday in Auxerre as uh, striker Michael Lebihan and his coach Jean-Marc Furlan from Auxerre were both sent off in a derby against Troyes, which they lost. Some other scores, Sochaux 3, Guingamp 1. PSG, uh, P- Paris FC sorry, lost 2-0 to Clermont and they're now last in the league. And on Saturday, Caen lost to Lens, and their manager, Rui Almeida, is now under fire. Um, I mean, I, uh, these days, it seems pretty terrible. Um, and some news as well from Chambly, who, who we discussed, whom we discussed last, last week. Uh, uh, they announced earlier today that they are signing the current former future Zinedine Zidane, known as Marvin Martin. <laughs> So he returns to Ligue 2. Uh, he was... Oh, uh, yeah. Had about yeah. five good minutes in 2011 and that was it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, he was available um, after leaving Reims last season where he was kind of injured most of the time. And another very exciting transfer story, my personal highlight from the weekend, you might remember Emmanuel Imorou who, who played for Caen for mm-hmm. many years. Uh, he announced he was so he was in Ligue 1 last year. He announced he was signing for my Evian down in first regional division, which is the sixth level of football. <laughs> but it's wow. very exciting to get an international playing for Evian again. And you know, indeed, five years also, left until Ligue 1 at best. <laughs> There's also news tonight that um, Patsky Slair has been suspended as coach of Gangon. Oh, yeah. has he now? I, I did not see that go. Yeah, I just came in. Yeah. Oh, that's that's a shame. I mean, I mean, they've also, yeah, they've also had a tough start um, to the season. It, it can be really hard for the relegated. I mean, with Caen, with with Gangon, we've seen this. If you, know, of course, was another example back in the day. But, um, well, we wish them good luck in terms of at least not going bankrupt like Evian. That's all for today. Thank you, Mo. Thank you, Jeremy, for coming on as well. No problem. Thank you for having me. And thank you all for listening to the show. Make sure you follow GFFN on Twitter, at GFFN, for all the latest French football news. You can also check out our, more interest, our longer articles at getfootballnewsfrance.com. Make sure you listen to the preview show as well on Thursday, and we'll see you next week. Thank you, and goodbye.